This is Bob Cudmore, The Historian's Episode with Don Papson, co-author of The Secret Lives of the Underground Railroad in New York City, begins in just a few seconds. You can access The Historian's and the Dave and Bob Talking on the Internet podcasts on my website, bobcudmore.com, and on soundcloud.com. The Historian's podcast is now heard on RISE, WMHT's radio service for the blind and print disabled. Our GoFundMe campaign continues to support the podcast. Please make a donation at gofundme.com slash thehistorians or send a check to Bob Cudmore, 125 Horseman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. And now... On with the show. We welcome Don Papson to the program. Good afternoon, Don. Good afternoon. How are you doing today? I'm doing quite well. Don and Tom Calarco, and Tom's been on the program before, but Don Papson and Tom Calarco are authors of Secret Lives of the Underground Railroad in New York City, published by McFarland, has a subtitle with two names uh, in it, the subtitle Sidney Howard Gay, Louis Napoleon, and the Record of Fugitives. There's a lot written about the Underground Railroad, Don, but I understand you have really broken some new ground here. Uh, what Can you tell us the nature of what you found? Well, in 2007, another historian uh, uh, contacted uh, Tom and told him about uh, Sidney Howard Gay's Record of Fugitives, which he um, wrote in two notebooks in 1855 and 1856. Um, they've been owned by Columbia University since 1957, and uh, they were never published. So we have published the Record of Fugitives for the first time. Um, there are about 200 little more than 200 people who are mentioned in the record and it's a remarkable document because it indicates the enslaved name of the person the assumed name who owned them the circumstances of their escape where they were sent and how much money was spent to send them uh, to the next location and it also includes a list of agents who uh, Sidney Howard Gay and his chief collaborator, Louis Napoleon, worked with. Uh, there hasn't been anything like this published uh, since 1872 when William Still published his book on the Underground Railroad. And what's really interesting is that Sidney uh, Howard Gay and William Still wrote accounts of the same people. Mm. Uh, we don't know why they were both doing this in those two years, 1855 and 1856. But uh, Tom was able to compare the writings of the two men and see where, in some cases, Still said something that Gay didn't, and Gay said something that Still didn't. So um, it's a remarkable uh, document, and uh, uh, that's the first major thing about our book. And the second is that no one had ever written about Sidney Howard Gay and Louis Napoleon to any extent. And... Uh, uh, we're the first to do that. Mm -hmm. tell, tell us more about that. Who was Gay? Who was Napoleon? Well, Sidney Howard Gay was um, really a blue blood New Englander. 
He was descended from William Bradford, who uh, arrived in Plymouth Colony on the Mayflower. Um, and uh, when he was a young man, he, well, his father wanted him to become a lawyer. His father was a lawyer. And there were a number of sons in the family, and uh, Sidney's father wanted at least one of the sons to take over his law practice. He sent Sidney to Harvard University when he was 15 years old, but he didn't adjust well away from home, became very ill, had to go back home, refused to go back to college. He wanted to be a businessman. He wanted to become a wealthy businessman. So he tried a number of business ventures. They all failed. And uh, what the last one he tried was in New Orleans, and he tried to set up a mercantile business between New Orleans and St. Louis, and it failed miserably, and he had to go back home. The interesting thing about Gay is that when he was in New Orleans, his sister and his mother uh, attended a lecture by Angelina Gremke, who was a female abolitionist. They were very moved by the presentation, so Sidney's sister informed him of this, and Sidney wrote back and said that abolitionists were lunatics. Mm. So when he returned home, he was, he, was, he was desperate because he didn't know, he didn't have any purpose in life. Uh, he had, as I said, failed in every attempt that he tried to uh, try to start a business, and he went into a depression. He went into his father's library, he started reading, he started thinking, and to everybody's amazement in his family and his friends, he emerged from the library an abolitionist. Mm. We don't hear about stories like that. We always hear about, oh, he was an abolitionist or she was an abolitionist, but we don't know what people went through sometimes in order to get to that place. So he became a very dedicated abolitionist. He joined the American Anti-Slavery Society. He became a member of the executive committee. He traveled with Frederick Douglass uh, on a lecture tour. Um, and then he was asked to become the editor of the National Anti-Slavery Standard in New York City, so he moved to New York City. He was a workaholic. I mean, he worked way into the night. But the interesting thing is that his mentor, his Underground Railroad mentor, was Isaac T. Hopper, who was living in New York City at that time. He would started helping fugitives from slavery when he was a young man in Philadelphia. So Gay's office became an Underground Railroad Depot. So he started sending people to Boston, to the Boston Vigilance Committee. And uh, then he met Louis Napoleon. Mm -hmm. Louis Napoleon was a black man who had been born in New York. His mother was enslaved. He was born in 1800, so in 1799 a law was passed that a, a woman who was enslaved, uh, well, the children of a woman who was enslaved would become indentured servants, hmm. daughters until the age of 25, and sons until the age of 28. Well, Napoleon was an indentured servant, and he married, we don't know the name of his first wife, but his freedom was purchased by a philanthropist who then turned $250, and then he turned around and paid, um, uh, well, uh, Mrs. Napoleon purchased her husband's freedom for $50. Mm -hmm. Well, the story is that Napoleon immediately started helping people on the Underground Railroad. And uh, well, 
in the early 1840s, there was a young man who stowed away on a boat, uh, and he <clears throat> was in danger of being taken back to the south. His name was George Kirk, and Napoleon discovered him, went to the uh, National Anti-Slavery Office, and uh, Hopper got involved, and Elias Smith, who was working in the office, got involved, uh, Sidney Howard Gay got involved, and from that point on, it seems that... Um, Napoleon and Sidney Howard Gay worked very, very closely together, and he, he's mentioned a number of times in the record. Mm. We had no idea who his, who he was. Uh, we saw, you know, L. Napoleon, L.N., you know. We didn't know what we were reading at first, so I did a tremendous amount of research and found quite a bit out about Louis Napoleon. And when he died in 1881, at the age of 81, his death certificate for occupation as Underground Railroad agent. Hmm. That's long after the end of the Underground Railroad. And he uh, had a reputation uh, for having assisted 3,000 people. That's a remarkable number. I mean, not even Thomas Garrett in Wilmington, Delaware, assisted 3,000 people. He assisted close to that number, but not exactly 3,000. So um, no one had ever written about, about Louis Napoleon and... Uh, so we're the first to do that. We're talking with Don Papson. Don and Tom Calarco are authors of Secret Lives of the Underground Railroad in New York City, Sidney Howard Gay, and Louis Napoleon. And you say, uh, well, let me ask you, how significant is it that in, in this case you find a white man and a black man working side by side? Well, that's a good question because um, I'm giving presentations and I... I had to package the information in a way, because I can't tell everything that's in the book. The book is over 250 pages. So I thought, what, what, what is the most interesting thing here? And I said, it's the unlikely alliance of Sidney Howard Gay, who, as I said initially, thought that abolitionists were lunatics, and Louis Napoleon, who was born into slavery, knew slavery firsthand, and uh, was uneducated. Uh, when he signed a writ of habeas corpus, he had to sign with an X. So you have a black man who is uneducated in schools but knows how to read the world and to read people. And you have Sidney Howard Gay, who's, who actually didn't receive his Harvard degree until many, many years later when they gave him an honorary one, but was very literate knew people who could donate money. So you have a white man who's able to, to, to get donors to give money to a fugitive slave fund, and you have a black man who knows the streets and is able to work with black and white people in order to conduct uh, uh, the, the fugitives to safety. So there were these alliances, but I think this one is particularly interesting because of Gay's uh, background and Napoleon's background, and we don't actually have the detailed information about these alliances in many situations. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's what I find very, very fascinating. Now, you told us about uh, Napoleon. I think you said in his uh, Louis Napoleon's obituary said he had been with the Underground Railroad. Uh, w uh, what was the circumstance of uh, Sidney Howard Gay, or what happened to him after this period of history ended? And uh, uh, kind of something else I'd like to throw in there. From what you're saying, um, 
there didn't seem to be anything underground about Sidney Howard Gay after a while. I mean, people must have known that he was involved in this, or or, or did they not? Because he was well, putting out this uh, abolitionist that, paper. Uh, well, well, Gay never promoted himself and uh, what he did. Um, maybe he intended to eventually uh, publish the record. We don't know. But what happened is that he was he he would. He, he was um, a man who exhausted himself. He was handling the newspaper, all aspects of it. He was also in charge of the Underground Railroad Depot in the office. And he was having to go into his own pocket sometimes to help people before money would come in for donation, from donations. And um, then he had... Um, uh, a situation that happened in which the American Anti-Slavery Society was short of funds, so they hired an assistant, his friend Oliver Johnson, to be the associate editor of the National Anti-Slavery Slavery Standard, and then determined they could no longer afford to pay Johnson. Well, at that point, Gay said, I can't do it anymore. I have a wife, I have three children, I've never made enough to survive on anyway, I'm leaving. And he was very ill when he left. Well, he was offered a job at the New York Tribune. Horace Greeley hired him. Well, what's interesting is Louis Napoleon went over to the Tribune, too. Huh, really? And they continued their collaboration. And uh, Gay was also still in charge of keeping the accounts of the Fugitive Slave Fund at the National Anti-Slavery Office. And then after a while, what happened, they hired Oliver Johnson to replace him, even though they weren't going to have him as the associate editor. So what happened was that uh, Gay went on. He was in charge. He was the managing editor of the New York Tribune during the Civil War. We cover that period in our book because he saved the Tribune building. During the draft riots of 1863, uh, there was a mob that started a fire on the, on the first floor of the Tribune building and really did not want the building uh, armed. Well, Gay and the other uh, men who were working in the Tribune went over, overrode him and got armaments into the building and protected the building. Um, but then at the end of the Civil War, Gay had a falling out with Greeley and left. He was, again, very, very ill. Then he went to work for the Chicago Tribune. Uh, he wrote a report on the Chicago Fire. He came back. He worked uh, with uh, William Cullen Bryant at the uh, New York Evening Post. And then uh, Cullen Bryant, Bryant, uh, William Cullen Bryant encouraged him to work with him on a popular history of the United States. And uh, it's a four-volume series, and, and Gay did virtually all of the writing for it. And then he wrote a biography of James Madison. Um, so he became a historian, and um, he doesn't say anything about himself in the popular history of the United States about, uh, about the underground railroad work that he did. Napoleon, on the other hand, this was his badge of honor. Mm -hmm. And he, everybody on Printing House Row in New York City, where the newspaper uh, offices were, knew him. And a number of them interviewed him, and they actually gave him a pension. Every month he would go and visit all of his friends and collect his little pension money. 
this is what he did. So, um, it, it, again, it's a, it's a very different situation. Um, and then Napoleon, one thing he was able to do is was able to raise enough money so that he could buy a, a plot of land on Staten Island, and he and his third wife, Elizabeth, built a home. Mm. Um, and, of course, Sidney Howard Gay and his wife lived on Staten Island as well. So that's another parallel. I can go on forever, Bob, so you, you need to ask I, another I question. Then <laughs> um, is the, your sense that after uh, you know, the start of the Civil War and after the Civil War, when they're doing their separate things, that, uh, that Gay and Napoleon stayed in touch with each other? Uh, I don't know how long they were in touch with one another. I know that while while Gay was at the Tribune, they were still working together. But this is another interesting point that we that we have in our in our book, and that is that because of of the falling out that Gay had with Horace Greeley when Horace Greeley died, um, Gay regretted Gay did not go to it, the uh, the the uh, the honorification they had for him in Greenwood Cemetery when they erected a monument for him, but Napoleon was there. Mm. And it's the only time that we have a direct quote from Napoleon. Somebody interviewed him, and they asked him what he thought of the likeness of of the statue for Horace Greeley. He said, well, it's okay, but they don't exactly have it right. <laughs> um, so, again, here's the difference between these two men. And uh, Napoleon was uh, uh, a remarkable man. And, well, Gay was too. They were two remarkable men who came together over the slavery issue and assisted. Uh, we do not know exactly how many people they assisted, but in, in the hundreds, of course. And uh, again, we're talking with Don Papson. He and Tom Calarco, authors of Secret Lies of the Underground Railroad in New York City. And Gay and Napoleon uh, kept this record of fugitives on the Underground Railroad. What were some of the things that you found in that record that were, were new? I, this is kind of a, not exactly a shot in the dark, but I'm not positive it has anything to do with this. But did you find a new story about the famous uh, black leader, Harriet Tubman? Yes, uh, we did find one. And um, it actually is a, it's the longest account in the journal. And it's really a summary of the many trips that she had made up to that point. So the implication is that she had actually been in the office many times. And then after Gay left and went to the Tribune, uh, Harry Tubman came through again, and, and Oliver Johnson assisted her. And, um, and, and he's actually quoted in uh, Bradford's uh, first biography of, of Harriet Tubman. But one of the most remarkable things for me is that one of the entries talks about a woman and a child who were hidden in a, an excavated hole underneath a slave cabin. And in the account, Gay says that uh, the, the woman and child were kept in there for weeks and uh, that a society of slaves took care of them. I'd never heard of a society of slaves that was organized and was taking care of people. What I find incredible about the, the, the record is that it demonstrates how people were organized 
um, uh, the enslaved people among themselves to assist people, very often a parent would stay. For example, Harriet Tubman's father stayed until everybody in his family was free. And then she came and rescued her parents. He was a free man, but he was in danger of, of getting in trouble because people were suspecting that her father was helping in all of the uh, work that she was doing. So you have uh, you have people who knew exactly where they were going because they were in communication. We don't know how they were in communication with people who had already made it to freedom. So mm-hmm. sometimes they would come to Gay's office, they knew exactly where they were going because mm-hmm. they had a brother or sister or a husband or a wife who had already escaped before them. And then you have other accounts of people who make it to Canada and, and they come back through the office. Uh, Harry Tubman was not the only person who went back to bring people out. So um, the organization of the enslaved people themselves, I found uh, very, 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 very interesting. And, um, Don, yeah. No, I was going to say, Don Papson with us. Uh, he and Tom Calarco, authors of The Secret Lives of the Underground Railroad in New York City. Was there, uh, and maybe you don't precisely know the answer to this question, but was there ever a raid on their operation by uh, the authorities? No, we don't have any, any, any indication of that. In fact, there's actually an incident where a police officer brings somebody to the office. Mm-hmm. So they knew what they were doing. I did wonder, we have a, we're not exactly out of time, but we're getting toward the end of the program. I wanted to talk some about you and another interview we'll be exploring uh, this topic with uh, your co-author, Tom Calarco. Uh, you live in uh, the upstate New York, uh, North Country. In fact, you're the founder of the North Country Underground Railroad Historical Association. Uh, tell us about that. Well, uh, I started the Historical Association um, because uh, we discovered, actually my wife discovered, that um, there were um, African Americans who fought in the Battle of Plattsburgh, which was uh, on Lake Champlain on September the 11th of 1814. She asked somebody on the commemoration committee if there were any black men in the battle, and the person said no. I always wanted to be a historian. I thought of becoming a history professor, but I didn't like the way history was taught. And I said, well, okay, I'm going to retire as a teacher pretty soon. This is something I can get involved in. So I started doing research. And I discovered that there was slavery in Plattsburgh in 1814. Then Governor Pataki started an initiative for us to preserve and interpret the history of the Underground Railroad. I'd met Tom. I got involved. And uh, I got... I keep getting more and more and more information, and pretty soon I realize, you know, we've got to do something with this. Tom had already written a book on the Adirondacks, and I said, I can't do the same thing as Tom has done. I've got to shift the focus somehow. Then I realized, okay, the lake, Lake Champlain was the highway. So I found many, many accounts of people who who, uh, were assisted to freedom, sometimes on steamboats on Lake Champlain, and uh, I coined the phrase, the Champlain Line of the Underground Railroad. Mm. And um, then uh, we had an opportunity to work with the town of Chesterfield, which was given a, a building um, on the hill above Osable Chasm by the Chasm Corporation. So we were able to, um, to uh, work with the town of Chesterfield, which received the funding for the museum, 
The museum is owned by the town, and the agreement is that our association operates the museum uh, for the town in exchange for having our offices upstairs. Um, I was the founding vice president and uh, retired from the board so that I could work on Secret Lives. And our museum is remarkable because we're in a rural area, but because of our location, we have five to 6,000 plus people a year visiting our museum, which is a remarkable number for our area, and they come from all over the world. Hmm. And it's called the North Star Underground Railroad Museum? Yes, it is. And what uh, what exhibits do you have there? What What's the experience of going there? Well, we um, our, our, our feature pres- presentation is a, an object theater. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's an experience. There's video, there's sound, there's music, there's narration, there are lights, uh, and it's the story of John Thomas. It's a man whose uh, story I, I, I discovered. Um, Garrett Smith was a very wealthy man who gave uh, land to black men in eight counties, including Essex County, New York, uh, so that they could qualify to vote in state elections. Local historians said that none of the people that gave, gave uh, excuse me, that Garrett Smith gave land to were fugitives from slavery. But I was in the SUNY Plattsburgh Special Collections one day and I found a letter that was sent to Garrett Smith in 1872. It was sent by John Thomas, who, like Louis Napoleon, was not an educated man. He told his story to someone who wrote it down. And uh, by 1872, John Thomas owned uh, 200 acres in the Adirondacks. I looked and looked and looked, and I found two of his great-great-grandsons who still live in the Adirondacks. They didn't know the history of the family. That's our, our, our main uh, uh, attraction. We also have a room that's devoted to what happened in the churches, how they all divided over the slavery issue. It hinges on the um, uh, story of uh, Joseph Hoag, who had a vision that the churches would divide and there would be a civil war. We have a video, Northward to Freedom, about Lavinia Bell, who came all the way from the Galveston, Texas area to Rouse's Point, New York, which is right on the border, and went to Montreal. Um, and we have, uh, you know, a, a panel on, on slavery in this area and people who escaped before there was even an underground railroad. And uh, John Brown, of course, we have a panel on him. So we have... Uh, we have a number of exhibits, and, and, and this year I'm, I'm the chairman of the uh, exhibits committee. I've got back in the game a little bit. And uh, we have someone who is uh, creating a, uh, a quilt, a replica of a quilt that was sold in Boston at an anti-slavery fair. And it's a, it's a North Star pattern quilt. It's not the kind of quilt code idea that, you know, the quilt was hung out and it was a symbol, it was full of symbols of, of where people were supposed to go and so on. We don't subscribe to that idea, but this is a quilt that was actually created by a, an abolitionist woman and sold at the anti-slavery fair. It's owned by Historic New England, and we have a wonderful quilter who's making a replica of it, and there's a poem in the center of it in which um, the, uh, the women are expressing their sympathy for the enslaved woman whose child is torn from her. So we're going to put that in the Northward to Freedom Room 
where we have the video for Lavinia Bell, because when she got to Montreal, the one thing she wanted was to go back and get the freedom of her child. North Star Underground Railroad Museum. It's at Osable uh, Chasm. I'm sure you can find it on, uh, on Google and get uh, directions to go there. I think it is kind of interesting that the, the book that you and Tom Calarco have uh, just put out, Secret Lies of the Underground Railroad in New York City, focuses on the city, for, I mean the city of New York, whatever reason, maybe you don't think of New York City in, in terms of a, being a stop on the Underground Railroad. Yes, that's true. But actually, we don't just focus on New York City. We actually, one of the reasons we wanted to write the book was in order to dispel the idea that the Underground Railroad was not well organized. And we're able to do that through Gay's record of fugitives because he, as I said earlier, list the names of the people that he's sending the fugitives to in Albany, Stephen Myers, and in Syracuse, Jermaine Logan. And uh, he even had a contact in Toronto. The one person who's missing in the record is Frederick Douglass. Mm. And, I, and we have a thread throughout the book of what happened between Frederick Douglass and the American Anti-Slavery Society. Uh, there was a falling out because he decided to publish his own newspaper in Rochester, and William Lloyd Garrison did not like that. Right. And, and Donna, uh, I'm worried. also sorry, but we're, we're just uh, about out of time. I thank you very much okay. uh, for joining us today. Don well, one Papsen, other, can I say one more ahead. thing about the museum? We are now working on French translations of our exhibits. Well, Don Pabson uh, and Tom Calarco, authors of Secret Lies of the Underground Railroad in New York City, Sidney Howard Gay, Louis Napoleon, and the Record of Fugitives, published by McFarlane. You've been listening to The Historians. I'm Bob Cudmore.